Welcome back to Deck Attack Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Obla D, J, and joining as always is my co-host, Obla Da, Z. How are we doing today, Z? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. How are you, Jack? What a glorious, glorious Sunday morning we're recording on. Yeah, a glorious, snowy Sunday morning. Yeah, it's very snowy. It's too snowy for the time of year, you'd say. I'd say. I would say. I would say. I hate when it it was warm enough. I was like, oh, it's so nice and warm. I'm wearing my my raincoat. You know, it's not too chilly. And then it snowed. And it's, it's, it's really kind of coming down. Uh, it was coming down for me before. It's it's since stopped, but it probably will start up again. There was some thunder snow a little bit. Thunder some, snow. Some thunder Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the flex, but it had some thunder snow. <laughs> so we're continuing our best picture contenders lineup here. We watched Nightmare Alley this week. Yeah. And we're going to be proven right tonight, actually. Well, tonight oh. isn't when we were recording this. This episode will be out a day after the Oscars. So we won't comment on the results till next week there we so are we'll be a, a week we'll be a week behind but whatever we record on sunday as on the weekend so sue us uh so yeah nightmare alley i think it's guillermo del toro who directed yep. this if i remember correctly and it stars bradley cooper kate blanchett and i don't and I, those are the only two actors i know if the Rooney Mara in, and tony collett okay those are the other two and then we'll, and there's a smattering of other big oh, yeah. actors Will defoe like, well, ron perlman yeah that, what's her name? That woman from Hereditary and Knives Out. Name that's Tony Collette. Me. Oh, that's Tony Collette. Okay, the uh, right Zena, whatever. Right, Zena. yeah. I think this was great. I thought this was a was was a good movie. I think I this has a lot of similarities to the Power of the Dog that we watched last week, but better in almost all of them. <laughs> I would I would have to agree because they're both um psychological thrillers or that's a, i guess this is a psychological thriller power of the dog they said it was a psychological drama i don't know it seems like a, a minor distinction yeah pretty nebulous distinction but they're also both like period psychological drama things and i think this one just is better to be totally honest i think this kind of splits the difference between being an oscar Beatty like psychological all this fucking themes and and abstraction and stuff but also it's just a little more approachable it doesn't lean too heavy into that like i I feel like it's it's a little more straightforward with the plot it doesn't it's not relying almost on being like "Ooh, you gotta figure it all out do you understand oh yeah i I definitely agree with that it's definitely much more approachable while still keeping kind of like that the highbrow themes i think Mm -hmm. like it's pretty you know up their themes but like you can understand what's going on like not that hard to understand what he's doing like, even when there's you know classic scenes in these kind of movies where like there's no dialogue and he's doing like a cryptic thing the movie explains it later on like in the first scene the that movie opens with uh, Bradley Cooper's character Stan dragging a dead body into like a hole in the in a house and burning his hat and burning the house down and walking away mm-hmm. and you're like well that's weird what is he doing and then it's explained that that was his father who just died of illness and he was up like kind of you know burning his house down and like kind of getting a clean slate because it's 1930 something mm-hmm. actually well, if you think about it these movies take place the power of the dog in this movie don't take place that far apart from each other they're only like a decade apart really that's actually decade. that's a good point but they're very they're like leaning into different obviously uh sort of and like the, regions and genres right that's a good point yeah, they're, yeah. they're pretty close timeline wise for sure that one mm-hmm. leans more into the western and this is more like a uh, neo-noir so kind yeah of that's thing, a good yeah. point that is actually kind of funny to think about like this takes place in like 30s buffalo mm-hmm. or whatever 30s 40s early 40s buffalo and then part of the dog was in wherever the fuck bumfuck oklahoma or some shit and so yeah. i know it's in montana montana they knew it was one of those so it's it's a different kind of 
idea. That's that's actually neat. But yeah, that actually is something fun, isn't it, Jack? We live in we're big fans of Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. It, you know, that's very funny that it takes place both in Newark because when he goes to City Hall, I was like, that City Hall looks like the one that I know oh, from yeah. Buffalo. Yeah, it literally. Is. And I was like, and and then I was and then I thought to myself, no, nah, I can't be it. The City Hall just all looks similar. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I was right. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even know that I was right. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like, that, I like this movie a little bit more now. <laughs> well, there's a part where... I mean, they keep it kind of vague. It's not in your face about it. But there's a part towards the end where you hear a radio. And the radio is like... They're like, WBC-17 coming to you from Buffalo. And I was like, oh. That's when I just, when I realized to be... I'm going to be... Oh, yeah. I, I mean, maybe I heard that and I just didn't think about it. Huh, interesting. But yeah, I don't know. This is a very interesting kind of plot. I think it's kind of neat. It, well, I, actually, I wanted, to say, I wanted to mention this. So this... Also, based on a book, just like last week's, Power of the Dog. Yeah. And I just thought it was interesting that these two and West Side Story are all adaptations in some form. Because people right, love yeah. boohooing about how, like, everything in Hollywood is remakes or reboots or whatever the hell, right? Everything's a sequel. Yeah. Everything's tied into something that came before. And there's no there's no new ideas under the sun or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then you have movies like these that are, like, well-received and are, you know, like, lauded. And they're also just adaptations in some form or another. I just, I don't know. I feel like people give people, they get it, they get too, uh, too elitist about that kind of thing almost. Not only is a Nightmare Alley based on a book, it's also a remake of a movie from 1937. Yeah, they, yeah, they made a movie of this book already. So like, I think the same was for The Power of the Dog as well, actually. And obviously West Side Story was a uh, stage musical and then a film and then a film again. So I, I just, I feel like people, when they say that, they really mean they're trying to be elitist of like, well, not. Not the dumb ones like Star Wars and Marvel that they keep making, but my adaptations are good. My of Catcher in the Rye and the Lord of the Flies, the books I like to read and read to be superior. Yeah, that that's all. I just think it's neat to point out because ultimately the Hollywood has always been very um, adaptation heavy, right? I mean, that's well, kind of. Yeah. I guess it's. I don't know, but the, I guess the thing about Hollywood is that it adapts like other media. Because you can do, like, here's a movie of a play, or a movie of a book, or a movie of a musical, right? But then it also does, like, you know, how many movies are, like, this is just a true story? So, like, and, and they're all good. Like, some of the best films, some of the, like, widely considered best films ever made are adaptations, right? Stuff like Shawshank yeah. and, like, The Shining and, and shit. So this idea that, like, a, a film has to be, like, 100% the creation of... The writer's the whole mind. Yeah, I don't think it's yeah. is fair. I, mean, no, I just think it's it was neat that like these are all adaptations too, but people don't necessarily think of them as such because nobody, well, not nobody, I'm sure, but I would say largely the novel Nightmare Alley is probably not super well known. And so no, you see this, and you're like, yeah. wow, what an interesting new idea. But it's like, well, that's not actually new either. I just think that's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's. I think it's just one of those things. Not to go too deep into this, but uh. I think we talked about it before, probably, because we always kind of get into this kind of tangent one way or another. So all every story, we just kind of all telling the same stories in a way. Like mm-hmm. everything's kind of just itself. So focusing on it's just a repeat of this thing. It's like, well, I mean, it, I, I mean, everything's a repeat of everything if you really boils it down. Exactly. So really, it, there's no point really focusing on that unless it's just like really blatant. Yeah. Like it's really apparent that you're just like ripping it directly. But in most cases, if you really look at all the details, they are different enough that you can just watch both and get different things. Right. It's only if you boil it down to its core beats that it becomes like, a, oh, well, this is a guy goes here and he has to change and he's abandoning his life. Well, that's most stories. Like, mm-hmm. The protagonist has to leave a place and go to a new place for a story to happen, or what's the right. story? So, like, it's kind of just how stories are. So, because if you get into 
if you get into like yeah if you basically get vague enough you can really start doing it like obviously the whole hero of a thousand faces thing right the hero's journey yeah. obviously applies to like everything by design so you can't just be like ah but this is like star wars too it's like okay, well yeah but star wars is kind of like everything or yeah like lord yeah. of the rings harry Potter, like every story ever follows a somewhat similar like tried and true uh path, path. and or even just like there's you know at this point, literally like thousands years old, like tropes and, and character archetypes, right? Like, and I mm-hmm. think this is a big one here. I think Stan in this movie is like an Icarus type, right? Yeah. He literally flies too close to the sun with, well, not yeah, literally, he, but he gains a great ability and then he take any use and he gets too confident and then he plummets to earth mm-hmm. and he falls, and he falls lower than what he started. Exactly. At. I had that thought. I was like, yeah, this is a bit of an Icarus thing. And then like, I saw a review and someone's like, yeah, he's like a classic Greek icarus and i was like shit yeah look at me i know yeah, things <laughs> see we're we are smart contrary to what we said last episode we said we were dumb for not liking power of the dog we are smart we're changing our tune that's we right smart for like for, for liking this one yes we got two yes. out of three so what is that's that's, bad and we liked dune kind of and well, licorice pizza have, kind of we liked look when we did i like licorice pizza we do like to I don't not, look up kind of we did like the so we're about we get about a fifty strike rate on uh, best yeah, picture we're, movies. We're, we're pretty much uh, connoisseurs. I think, I think we should just uh, be filmmakers. Yeah, um, really. Yeah. You know what's up. But let's get into the actual story of this, mm-hmm. I guess, and, and talk about that. So, like I said, when I was talking about um, you know, the scenes, it starts with Stan, our character, uh, bear, putting his bear, taking his father's dead body and burning down him in the, in their house and walking off. And then he's traveling, he's like on the bus, he goes to the last stop and he finds himself at a carnival and then he joins the carnival as like a grunt man. Mm-hmm. And through time, you know, he uh, starts working there. He starts working like a mentalist. Well, actually, no, I'm jumping a gun. He meets Willem Dafoe's character who has like this geek, which is this like weird feral man that he keeps in a cage and is like to shock the people. He's like, ah, oh, the geek for 25 cents, see him eat a chicken's head off, which was uh, pretty intense. I was watching him eat that chicken's head but oh, yeah. it is it is Guillermo del Toro so that's like his fucking wheelhouse so I basically this part of the story is him kind of learning how to trick people and like deceive them which will play into the larger theme well, so it's not just tricking he is learning well I mean I guess it depends what people. you what you mean because they, they kind of deal with this as well like that that's like a theme of the movie right and it's like are you tricking them are you allow- are they allowing themselves to be tricked right they want they want you to trick them that's why they're there mm. kind of thing all, all these different things uh but he learns the skills he learns the cold reading skills and he starts working on the um what is it it's like the the verbal code the that mentalist. they have it's like a, uh, i don't know what the code's called it's just that verbal code where like she says mm. something that seems innocuous but he knows what it really means yeah the emphasis and the keywords and stuff the thing is like what is i don't even what what is mentalism in this context i suppose i should have but like because like clairvoyance right which is like what uh madame xena is that's like that just doesn't exist right because clairvoyance is like you know you are literally claiming to be able to see the future that's i guess whatever any kind of extrasensory like perception of a a thing but like is mentalism just like i mean it's literally called mental is so it's it's not supposed to be a different power it's just kind of a it's Hold on, kinda, let me it, look up the dictionary definition of mentalism. Oh, it just says a magician who performs feats that apparently demonstrate extraordinary mental powers such as mind reading. Alright, well, never mind that. I guess it's all, these all seem kind of nebulous terms that are more or less the same thing. Because the Wikipedia right, yeah. says, here says that his act is a psychic act, which is, once again, kind of the same thing. Yeah, it's all kind of the, it's all like the same kind of term. Obviously, we know he isn't doing any of this. He doesn't have any special powers. He 
has like this cold reading ability and like they talk about in this in this part of the film as well that he clearly has the ability to like read people well which is that is like an inherent thing some people are going to have better than others right mm. and they say in this one that it's <laughs> they get kind of grim with it i mean this whole movie's pretty grim so on brand but that's like for most people it's going to be the result of some kind of like childhood trauma it's like a coping sort of survival mechanism where like yeah you, you gotta so you learn so you know it's coming yeah, stay on your feet mm -hmm. you gotta you gotta see like unknowable cues to be like all right well usually it's uh, probably in this context because it's you know 50 uh, 30s it's just like parent or something yeah so you know like well they're walking this way so that means this and i gotta get what the getting's good and hide and all that and yeah and he's it's a big thing again with uh he when he's learning this he's learning it from this guy pete who's like a drunk and mm -hmm. then uh he doesn't really like pete like he's like i don't really like you pete and you're kind of a uh, fuck up you like fucked yourself and you had a chance and you fucked it and i don't really like you it's because he sees himself in him and it's like a whole thing where he's kind of like got father issues and all that mm -hmm. so uh yeah i thought all that was that was pretty interesting at the carnival um one thing i really one thing i did when i was watching it i guess it's boy from the movie but when uh Willem Dafoe is telling him about his geek method. Like he's like, "Oh, this is how I get him." Oh, I was yeah. like, "Oh, so he's so so." I'm like, "Oh, so I know the end of the movie." <laughs> like he's 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 gonna be one. You like, just called that because he's yeah. I thought about texting you about it before you watched. And I was like, "Well, uh, I, I, I like, I'll I'll know I'll know that I knew it and it'll be fine." I don't know if I would have necessarily. I mean, I guess I it, it seemed kind of likely. It it's definitely was presented in the type of way that you know it's gonna come up again. I guess mm -hmm. yeah, with, with, in whichever form or, or factor. It's definitely the type of scene where they're like, "All right, I'm gonna sit down and give you a detailed explanation of this thing." And I'm like, well, "Okay, that's gotta be, that's gotta Important be used somewhere. later." This is Chekhov's geek. <laughs> so, yeah, it's very, it's a very upsetting concept, isn't it? Oh yeah, uh, very much so. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of cruel. I mean, kind of actually. I'm just gonna just, say, it. just cruel, it's just cruel. They just, they just keep them in a case. I don't even like. Oh, just you gotta do this sometimes. You just gotta let them make them play the part. Really, just keep it going for like 25 cents in a weird carnival like when the cops show up to shut him down for obviously because like the movie wants you to feel this way you're kind of like oh no dog, they gotta get away with it let them let them go get out of here you, you coppers but then if you think about it for a second you're like oh they probably should shut that down it's it's pretty bad yeah, at least the geek part of it it's no good like yeah get rid of them all those darn carnies but yeah but then, so but then, and then they have the cop arrest that girl for uh, indecency like oh you're not wearing enough clothes we have wives and mothers here or wives and daughters here they're gonna think they're gonna think they can have rights <laughs> yeah. Some more clothes. yeah i thought that was like definitely a, a funny little old-timey kind of thing because it wasn't like oh you're gonna tempt it wasn't even like you're gonna tempt our uh, the men it's like oh you're gonna let the women think they can do this and it's like <laughs> oh, goodness but yeah so gotta, in that in that uh same the the whole what is it the whole carnival uh section or whatever yeah. it is do you think that he intentionally killed pete with the wood alcohol because that was another one where when uh willem dafoe gives him like the explanation of what the wood alcohol is i was like all right that's also going to come up somebody's going to somebody's going to kill himself with that and it, obviously the likely candidate seemed pete because he was like the established the drunk drug character um so i was like is he going to use that to kill him because he i, I mean it was not clear to me it and you know right away i was like does he is it so that he can have his wife or he can have his job or whatever so do you think he did that on purpose or i don't know i i feel like he might have because there's a, i mean i don't know if he did it on purpose to like take his wife because he was trying to leave yeah i don't like he, i don't think it was i'm just saying that was like yeah where my head was at. i i think maybe it was like a, a spur of the moment kind of thing where i don't think he would have like gone out of his way to kill pete but since pete was like hey go get me this he was like well now i can because i kind of hate you and i see my father in you so i'm gonna kill you to get revenge because i'm a horrible broken man 
So I, I think that's kind of more what it was that like in the moment, his like brain was like, you got to do this to get revenge on your dead dad who you burned in a house. That's probably, I mean, I, that's definitely an angle, I guess. Yeah. I think also yeah, probably the, part of it was maybe that first time when he's, he's looking at the book and then Pete was like, Hey, don't, don't look at my book. There's some dark, you could use this for evil. You had to use your, your <laughs> mentalist powers, you for your powers for good. You have a responsibility. Like, yeah, like, I think maybe in that moment, he's like, all right, I'm going to kill him. It takes his book. <laughs> I want it. Yeah. I want to know. I want to be with this Molly girl. Um, and then, yeah, they, they leave eventually. And they do the act. And he's mean to his wife, which is upsetting. Because <laughs> they were literally like, hey, don't be mean to her. And then he just was. And he, just, he was like, hi, I gotcha. Two years later, I'm just mean. You pretty, you do a pretty, quite the, or I at least did a, quite the, quite the turn on Stan throughout this movie. Because at first I was like, why are they, why is everyone giving him such a rough time? He's, he's clearly just likes her, wants to be with her. What? Uh, don't be such a jerk, Ron Perlman. And then I was like, "Oh no, Ron Perlman was just just right. <laughs> you just read about him about about a guy who wants to be a mentalist. That's tough. Maybe well, that's tough for it's, me. It's real tough. Yeah. And then when he's doing it during one of their shows, Kate Blanchett appears and is like, "I'm gonna trick him. What's in my bag?" Pulls a, a Bilbo Baggins. Uh, What's in my pocket? And then he guessed it, and he was like, "You got a pistol, and it's got this in it." Mm-hmm. And she was like, "Oh, he got." It. And everybody was shocked. And then he tells this this guy this judge that he can see his son that he has like he can see the dead and then he starts to do a spook show and his wife's like don't do a spook show we carnies can't do spook shows because they don't like that it really causes problems he's like nah i'm gonna do it though for money and then he does it for money you know it's weird to me what? what isn't it strange that like that's where they draw the line that like these carnies will have like a, a literal man like chained up and like basically like made mad by opium laced alcohol <laughs> withdrawals and and all this and they'll like make him eat live chickens and shit for amusement but then they'll be like hey don't make someone think you're talking to their sister their dead family members that's that's cruel and messed up it's like yeah, is so, it is that like cool. well i mean it i guess it, i mean it is but i was just it's just weird to me that that's where they're like drawing the line you know yeah, I feel like the I feel like that line already got crossed when uh, Willem Dafoe has a geek. I, that's that's what I think. I think that's worse than anything you could do with like. I mean, yeah, no, no, I'll just say it. I think that's worse than anything you could do to like be like, yeah, I'm talking to your sister. And I mean, I think there is like probably a dis- de- debate to be had there, which Bradley Cooper mentions at one point um, of like, well, if you're giving them hope, is that such a bad thing? Like, even if it's fake, if they think it's real, that's almost it's still kind of good. good. I mean, in the words of George Costanza, it's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, he definitely just does that out of he just he's just going a little mad with with his uh he's letting the power oh. go to his head because he's like I can do anything I can pretend yeah. like I can talk to you because can... maybe he did have to like like he says like all right he had to go after the woman he had to go after Kate Blanchett at first to like save the show so the crowd didn't turn on him but then he just turns to a new guy and it's just like you i see our dead son <laughs> like, <laughs> and i feel and then he collapses yeah oh yeah he does a little, yeah exactly i do like uh the the that whole speech though that stan does give him of like hey at some point you just you know you take this you'll stuff too up. far you'll think that you really can do it and that's like that's no good yeah you think if if you get to the point where you've convinced yourself that you are speaking to the dead and like that's that's not where you want to be. Yeah. If you yeah, and then or if even not even speaking of that, if you think you can pull off adding another person, making it physical, yeah, that's when you've gone too far because you're adding too many any, too many things you can't control. Like you think you control all things, but really it's gonna slip out right between your fingers, mm-hmm. like it does uh, very very quickly. He gets that tarot. I think really that mindset is accentuated when he um when they come visit him. Yeah, uh, Zena 
the muscle guy and major mosquito and she does that tarot reading and she's like oh the hanged man it's like well it's upside down so like you can make a choice like you mm-hmm. you can save this but if you but if you choose you'll be fucked and then he's flips it back over and he's like see i fixed it oh no the second card is the hangman's not the one the second one says he can fix it but the hanged man shows him like what's gonna happen if he doesn't which obviously he'll no it doesn't she say it's because the hangman is upside down uh, um, no because he flips it back he, he flips it back over and says that he fixed it so i think the upside down hangman means he are i don't they, i mean tarot's fucking made up anyway so well, yeah i'm trying to figure well, out which they do address right the tarot is yeah. they're not trying to pretend like the tarot in even in the context of the film that the tarot readings are actual actually prophetic right mm-hmm. like she says he's because he's like oh i'll just save that for the rubes and she's like hey the cards always tell you something right it's what you take from them basically right like Yes, because yeah, you're gonna put, you're gonna put your own life on exactly, that. and so that that you know in that way you do get something from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought it's because like it really extends on his character when she's like, "Well, this upside down, it, you know, you got it, but something might go wrong." And then he flips it back over and says, "See, I fixed it," and he walks away. So it's very much that like I need to, I can control it. I, like even if it seems like I can't, I have, I have. He thinks he believes that he has the ability to control everything. And it'll all go his way if he just stays the course and does what he can does what he does what he thinks he does best. Yeah, this is just tricking everybody. This is a reverse hangman in tarot means that the time for action is now. And she tells him this that it's not too late, but he has to do it now. And he makes a wrong decision. He just continues on. He doesn't put a stop to the whole to trying to trick that old man. Trying to trick the old man who's like a scary, dangerous buffalo gangster. He's like a. I was reading. I don't know if it's ever explicitly said. It, well, they say he's powerful and has a lot of money. Uh, but I don't. I was reading. I read the book uh, synopsis on Wikipedia there. And in the book, he's like an auto tycoon. So mm, I guess okay. he could still be that, or he could be something else in the movie. But yeah. And then yeah, he gets well. He gets into that. Obviously, we skipped over. But they he does it with the judge and his wife, and he convinces them that their son is is out there. And he's waiting for him, and he's and like that really. There's obviously shows like the double edged nature of it, right? This whole like he thinks he's like what I gave them peace. They're gonna be happy now. I saved their marriage. I, and then obviously it ends in just about the worst way it could. Oh yeah, it goes because uh, the wife goes a little, uh, little, you know, a little un, kind of goes unhinged and kills herself and her She's husband. She's like, "Well, if he's waiting for us, let's just go there right now." And it's like, "Ooh," and it's then not really what you wanted is it? And then right through her eye, I was like, "Jeez, yeah. shooting herself right through the eye—that's intense." So like, that's clearly the the yeah the nature of it is like you can't really know how someone's gonna take this necessarily. You can't hit him with that. Like you can't, yeah. It turns out Pete was right. You should not try to convince people that you're speaking to the dead. Yeah, people take it. It's a bridge too, too far. far. Yeah. And like I so I, I really like the dynamic between him and the psychologist, especially the well, you know when you get the the shoe drop there at the end, right? And you it's revealed what she's been doing all along. Uh, and I thought that was really neat because it's just an interesting kind of like opposition to him, right? This idea that like he's doing this the mentalism kind of act almost, which is using like actual cold reading and and. Clearly, like, again, he has, he clearly has some knowledge of, like, how people work and all that, that kind of stuff and how, like, yeah. it's somewhat transferable, Grounded. right? He's not, like, yeah. he, he clearly understands and knows people and human, like, psychology to an extent. But then she's an actual, like, psychologist and how it turns out, like, I guess in the, in the, in the rock, paper, scissors fight of, uh, of cold reading Mentalist versus, versus psychology, psychology, actual psychology, psychology is rock, yeah, it's <laughs> rock and be scissors. And she just, uh, she's just better at it than he is in, in reality. Also, maybe she's a better liar than him because she puts a like a better 
but her Quesada. act as well the whole time. But yeah, it's interesting. But also, she's just as bad as he was. Like he was kind of right about that in the end because she also turns out she just fucks with him to be cruel, right? Yeah. As revenge, I guess maybe for their initial reaction that seems to be implied, right? Because what is she? Because she because he tells her that she's not powerful or whatever in their first meeting, and then at the end she's like, "Oh, am I powerful enough now or whatever?" So and she gets. Gets back at him. I guess she's carrying a, a grudge in the whole movie about <laughs> being embarrassed that that one night, and she just takes it to the extreme. Oh, yeah. I, it, it was. I really liked that scene. I was like, it was just one of those moments where, like, uh, the I didn't think the recording device would come back into play like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was, it was it surprised me. I mean, I, I guess in hindsight, I was like, oh, I guess it's like you know, Chekhov's recording. <laughs> I guess I guess he already tracked us early in the movie with Chekhov's geeks. I was like, there can't be two Chekhovs. <laughs> Like, it's not possible but then they had the recording and she's like what's all these delusions and he's like fuck and he's frantic and he's like what are you talking like and he's obviously he's right we know that he's telling the truth but you know if you were anybody else obviously if you're not if you're not in the room or in outside of it you're like well this guy's clearly insane this man's clearly insane and those types Take of away. those types of scenarios are always like stressful in movies because that's like a oh, relatively yeah. common sort of trope almost right the whole like well i've i've really backed you into this situation here where everyone you thinks you're crazy and I'm right. And you'll never be able to convince them you're not crazy because they'll think you're crazy. <laughs> like, that's kind of how that works. Because yeah. you can't, if saying you're not crazy only up, only emphasizes to anyone yeah, else exactly. how crazy you really are. Exactly. And like, like I said, that's kind of a common sort of trope. And even though by that point in the movie, Stan is kind of like pretty iffy on whether I even want him, want things to end, end well for him or not. Still, at that point, you're like, oh goodness, she really got it. This, this is pretty messed up. Like, Oh yeah. At at first, when she shot him, I thought he just she just killed oh, him. Oh yeah, she I shot him. So too. She just kind of winged. God, him. she winged his a big chunk of his ear off, and then he escaped. That's wild. I guess she probably intended to though. Like she was she was happy to just murder him right then and there, and like that would have been the end of it. Like that would have been pretty full on. Oh yeah, and she takes all his money, and just gives him ones. Yeah, she took all his money, not because she wanted it, just to fuck with him. It's like God, God damn. Yeah, really. That just proves you shouldn't trust your therapists. They just want to manipulate you and take your money that's true is that what that proves no i don't think it proves that that's a terrible thing to say there's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be some actually like schizophrenic listeners who'll be like oh i knew it well i mean i don't know if they needed our podcast to tell them i think oh, no. i don't know I'd, i would be surprised if we had any schizophrenic listeners i'm just be surprised if we had listeners if you're if you're a listener with schizophrenia right in let us know let us know what it's like. Right. And, and let the other guy write in too. Let everybody. You know, <laughs> yeah. Is that a bad thing to say? I don't know. Now we're talking about Moon Knight next week. Schizophrenia. So schizophrenia, like, correct to say anymore? I think DID is correct. Dissociative okay. identity disorder. But even that's only an American thing and not really proven outside of this country. That's what I've always heard. It's one of, it, there's a word, there's a certain word for um, diseases that are only seen in certain countries based on the culture of that country. Yeah. Uh, there's one, I know there's one in Mexico. Um, because of the intense like stress of an environment that usually it's women because like their brothers or sons or husbands die or uncles or whatever dying like you know gang related things or like anything really drugs or something they'll just like get really depressed and like stop doing like just stop living like they'll just give up oh. and they won't eat and they won't drink and they'll just waste away and die and like they have a word there's a spanish word for it and i don't know the word but everywhere else you'd be like oh you have depression you can fix it they're like no and but like some in some areas are like well nope that's it you're done you got it you got the thing and you're done and that's it yeah like in certain places you know being gay is a disease oh yeah it's like very much so i mean that's kind of a joke but that's literally kind of a true example right 
I mean, even There's obviously here, like it's not get two on our highest. Obviously, in the West, for the longest time, that was like a thing as well. I looked it up here. This is a dissociative identity disorder. Is the um like current version of multiple personality disorder. So multiple personality mm-hmm. is definitely like discredited now, but I think even dissociative identity disorder is also. That's why I have like travel. I mean, we'll get into this obviously when like you, if you just mentioned when New Night comes out, but. They're doing all. They're, they've said so many times, like, "Yeah, we're taking it really seriously." Talking about mental health, and I'm like, "Bro, I, I mean, it's not. You're not though. If you ask me, like, yeah, you can only be so responsible and like, so yeah, we're 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 really trying to take it seriously when you're literally having a show where a guy has the Hollywood version of of this, which is like fully distinct human personas who are like cut off from one of another." And he's like, oh, "No, I'm British. Hey, I'm a little British boy. Now I'm, and I'm also a ma- an American stunt. Yeah, I'm an American mercenary. Mer- and now and I'm I've, and, and moon guy. And now I'm a moon man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's very very gentle there, Oscar Isaac. Yeah. I mean, he didn't yeah. write it, but come on. He's like, <laughs> yeah, we're really taking it to this. This is the first one dealing with mental health. And I'm like, bro, it's just magic, basically. Yeah, it's it's magic. Like, ah, mental health is. You picked one that is." Dis- is disputed in the medical community and gave it to the magic moon god. It's it's. Uh, I, I mean, it remains to be seen. We won't get into it. Kind of kind of Winter Soldier thing. Like, yeah, yes, you're talking about racism, Sam. But are you really? What are you really taking aside? Are you just saying, well, you know, there's validity to all points. Like, that's not really an argument. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. Pick a side, even if it's on a well-defined side. At least you're on something. All right. But anyway, back to the movie. We won't. Do get you have much else you want to say? Well, I mean, obviously the end then. And it, and it I think, goes I think full the circle, end, it and it's comes pretty upsetting. It, when he becomes the geek, I thought it was kind of uh, interesting. I, I, it's like it came full circle in a couple ways. Like the guy, he goes to another carnival, he becomes a hobo, basically a homeless man mm-hmm. traveling the road with the whole, the classic hole in his shoe. Yeah, he's literally like a classic club. hobo because it's the thirties. <laughs> yeah, or it's the forties. That's when they, you know, that's when times were different. There's a heyday for hobos in a lot of ways. It's a heyday. It's it's a renaissance. Uh, and then he gives away his watch for booze because throughout the movie he talks. The only thing in the movie he talk, he doesn't drink. Like he's very adamant about that. And once, once he starts drinking, everything starts to slip away because he you know becomes like his father because mm-hmm. you know he says he isn't going to. And uh, gives his watch up, his dad's watch. So like the last vestige of that is gone. And he walks to finds a carnival and he finds like the head carny, I guess carny carny pope. I don't know whatever they call him. <laughs> and he's like, hey, I can do a mentalist act. And he's like, I don't want that. Uh, I don't. We don't need that. We don't do that anymore. He's like, oh, he's like, you smell awful. Get the hell out of here. And he's about to leave. And he goes, actually, I do have a job for you. It's a temporary gig. We just need a geek till we can find a real one. And he just starts like laughing and like crying. And he's like, well, that's I'm. I'll be perfect for the job. Which I honestly think is like the worst part. Like the most not heartbreaking part, but like the most. No, I, I know what you mean. Part because he knows. Because because he knows and he like is like he no, does this it is what I got. Yeah, he's so like oh, it's the only thing he can do. He, and he comes to a circle like his, uh, the guy he the current he's talking has like his old radio from the beginning of the movie that he gives to him. He sells to him to fall for money. Yep. When he joins, he has like the weird baby with the eye mm-hmm. who killed his mom. He's uh, Enoch Tech or whatever, whatever he, the word he Enoch. says. Enoch. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, across the circle and it's yeah, just upsetting to you know he's got to fall. He. He had to hit the ground. Ev- he had to hit the ground eventually, mm-hmm. and he really hit it. So that was going to be a, a monster of a man until he dies. The only the the best thing that can be said almost is that um I guess Molly gets away. <laughs> yeah, I guess she gets away scot free and goes back to the carnival. I don't know. Well, because at the end, it's yeah, we that one, that one folded. So 
I mean, I guess it could be a different kind of, they could have combined. I don't know. I thought at first what they were doing at the end there was that he pulls out that newspaper that he's like burning or stuffing in his shoes or whatever the hell. And it's got Madame Zena on it. And he's like, was that like an ad for she got her own show or something? And she's doing well now. I think it's kind of hard I to think, make out. Yeah, I couldn't quite tell, but I, I thought, I, I think I remember going that she, he was going to go back to the, the original. Yeah, article. that's what I thought. But no, yeah, I thought so as well. But he ended up in a different one. So maybe yeah. that's it. That's it. The rest of the carnival folded, or has, has been bought up by this guy, or whatever it is. But then maybe she got her own situation now. So yeah, yeah. that's then it. Yeah, it just ends kind of horribly and bleak. It's not super happy. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, it's, it's not a movie I'm like eager to watch again, <laughs> even though I think it was good just because it is right. pretty, pretty grim ultimately. But yeah, again, I think it does all of these themes and it has some some depth to it. But it is also just interesting and approachable to a normal audience, which is honestly the mark of a better film, I would say. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I, I think, as we've said before, probably time memoriam will say forever. Uh People, directors only get mad because people don't want to watch their artsy films that don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. If you make a film even moderately approachable, people will there be people will watch it and like it. Yeah, that's really just what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. But uh, you think it's going to win Best Picture? I think we've done it for all of them. <sighs> I don't think it's winning. I feel like it can't win just because it's it literally is just like more approachable, it's good. and it's not. They don't lean too heavy into the whole nonsense abstraction and like you figure it out yourself. And this movie is two and a half hours long nothing happens because there's like plot and, and a little bit of a little bit of movement to this one and there's so, some action there's some intense scenes yeah so probably not because it's decent so they'll be like we're gonna do nonsense power the dog instead oh yes of course what else yeah i'd have to agree i don't think it'll win but we'll we'll see if we're, we'll see if we're right today and uh, we'll, when we're recording this and then next week we'll report on it and we'll do and inevitably zach will go on a rant about how much he hates the oscars and I'll go, yep, I agree. Because, you know, this is fun. Well, well, Just real quick here, Jack. Uh, yeah. Ron Perlman gifted Guillermo del Toro a copy of the book in 1992. Oh. Yeah. He was like, "You're gonna, when, I, when you make this into a movie, put me in that movie. <laughs> I think he's in all of his movies, isn't he? I know he's in, is he in Pan's Labyrinth? Uh, I, honest, I honestly couldn't tell you. I, th- I know he's in, I know the guy who's um uh, the like hand monster who's in his Shape of Water movie is in all of his movies. He's like real gangly and always in like, he's known for always being in prosthetics. He's in Fallout. Ron Perlman? Yeah, he does the intro to Fallout. Huh. You know, War, War Never Changes. I've never played Fallout, so. This, I don't think he's in Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, no, but he's a big collaborator with, he's a collaborator of Hellboy director Guillermo del Toro having roles in Kronos, Blade 2, Pacific Rim, Nightmare Alley, and obviously Hellboy. Oh yeah, of course. So it's on the new Transformers apparently. There you go. All right, let's act attack into the long-awaited, much maligned Halo show. First episode came out this week. Halo on Paramount Plus. What was it called? It wasn't the title of the episode. Yep, I have it. It's called Contact. Contact. Um, so yeah, first first episode of Halo show out the gates here. And I will say we uh, we've been pretty hard on it in the lead up with all the trailers and stuff. But uh, I said last week I'd try to go in with an open mind, and I I really think I I achieved that pretty well because I I actually was pleasantly surprised by this episode. I will say, and I, I'm a little more optimistic about the future of this show after this one in, in some respects. I think other mm. things that still drop the ball on, but just there's just a couple strange things about the way they treat canon. So let's just jump right in it, Jack. So we open on Madrigal, right? right? Which mm. is this uh, colony world, right? So the whole whole universe of Halo is that at the at the point of the, the Halo games, when, when the war kicks off, right? Humanity has expanded 
well beyond the confines of Earth, and we have colonized uh, dozens, well, uh, actually hundreds of colony worlds, right, throughout the the galaxy. Um, mm-hmm. And basically, the it you know it's, it's spread out from Earth, right? So Earth is the center, and then we have like inner colonies, which are larger, more built up, older colonies, and then you get outer and outer, and it's kind of like a Star Wars scenario. Yeah, where the farther you get out from the center, the yeah. less kind of more, more run down it becomes. Exactly, and you also it also has the thing sometimes from Star Wars where like a lot of these these planets are pretty one note where it's like yeah this planet turns out is just a big farm, <laughs> it's a, it's an entire <laughs> planet basically of habitable arable farmland that we just farm on, and so you have these planets that like are able to supply the other planets right as like a you know mm-hmm. again it's kind of like the like in Star Wars where sometimes they treat Star Wars economy like just a space version of yeah earth where it's like this country's good at this so this whole planet is good as this right this planet is an exporter of you know precious minerals and and like uh, spice yeah good elements and shit and then this planet yeah this planet spice (laughs) just spice just drugs it's the drug planet where we mine all our drugs from the earth so magical in canon or in the other canon right so this is its own timeline right blah 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 so in the other canon magical is one of the most outer colonies and it's one of the first colonies to be destroyed as a result right so it's in the same system mm-hmm. as harvest which in halo is the first planet that the covenant encounter and they destroy after like a protracted campaign there so i don't know why they chose madrigal like i don't know why they they were like all right we're gonna pick a planet that exists but we're just gonna totally disregard everything about it <laughs> but whatever um <clears throat> because we do know that this game or the show rather sorry Obviously, it takes place in 2552, which is the same year as Halo Combat Evolved takes place in the main Halo timeline. So, the war's been going on for a long time by now, presumably, so it's weird that Madrigal is still intact, but whatever. So, I guess it's it's its position has shifted somewhat for this universe. Mm. I did think it was strange that the insurrectionists there didn't know about the Covenant. They were, like, pretty much entirely oblivious of them. Yeah, they, just, they, they just thought it was all like propaganda and stuff. Right. Which is weird because it has been going on for so long, right? Like, mm. the war's been going on for longer than uh, Quan there has been alive, right? And in canon, not that there's not still like some disgruntlement, and there is there is skirmishes and whatnot, but the general kind of idea is that once the Covenant arrive, right, humanity is able to at least temporarily put aside their differences and unite against a common enemy there right Right. because Mm -hmm. obviously whatever your problems with the you know the unit the united earth government and like the way they treat the colonies and like this capitalist machine they've built because it's all a big metaphor for like imperialism and and colonialism and all that right just on yeah just on like a grand scale and a galactic scale that's Mm -hmm. all well and good and there is like the unsc and the unified earth government do kind of suck but the idea was that once the covenant arrived that's that's a more common enemy right like they're they yeah. they are literally intent on extincting humanity, so you know probably take care of them first. Yeah, so I did think that was kind of weird that they didn't know, but it's obviously you know that that way you get to preserve the initial contact, which is always like an interesting concept. Like, oh, what are they? What the hell is this? So you know, and what's going on? Our cool. guns don't work. Yeah, you and I watched um a couple months back. We watched Ford Unto Dawn, which has a similar kind of thing. That's like a little it was like a youtube movie they made uh, for halo 3 like almost 10 years ago now but that is a similar thing right now that one takes place in the very first year of the war so it's a you know it's it works more but it has that same thing of like what's going on who's attacking us oh god it's aliens what the fuck what the fuck oh my god oh my god the spartans are here yeah so i did think though that initial contact is done really well 
I thought it was the the way that the uh, energy weapons are portrayed. Pretty Brutal. full on, yeah, isn't it? I was I was surprised yeah. when all her friends were running, and they're just like that one lady's leg just gets blown just off, blown off because the ball of plasma hit it. I was like, oh wow! I was like, well, I give him, I was like, I will give him props for that. Like, absolutely, it was visceral. Absolutely, like, when they when they kill, even when uh, the Spartans come in, like when they're getting when people are getting murdered, they're get they're killing them. Like, oh they're yeah, not pulling punches on that for sure. So then they they're on the run and they 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 mount this little defense, but it's not very effective. Because no. the Covenant have Covenant weapons. I will say, this is like this is one of the first problems I had. I, I thought it was lame that it was just elites. Especially no, no grunts. No grunts or jackals. Because that's, you know, as their names uh, imply, the bulk of the Covenant military is grunts. And then the elite are this warrior elite class that are usually like leaders and officers and stuff. So there should be mm-hmm. more of the other ones spread in there. But clearly that was like a cost-saving measure, yeah, right? Like, what? Let's get the big ones in there to be a big spectacle, not a little bunch of little yeah. bastards running around. This way, you only have to like render and animate one alien race, which is you know fine, but it's a little boring because the whole point of them is that they are a covenant of multiple races and stuff. They're not just one, but single race. Yeah, and then they're just going real poor for them, and that's when we get the Spartans showing up, which I also think was done really well. Uh, this is kind of like a recurring theme in well the games and the expanded material and all this and the, the different books and stuff is like the only thing scarier than the covenant are the spartans right um, yeah both to the covenant and to humanity like there's this and the, the, we see this later on as well but like the normal soldiers are afraid of the spartans because the they're kind of upsetting as a concept <laughs> right they they're yeah. like robot they're like, they're like cyborg monsters they're basically people, they're, they're, they're barely human right oh yeah so they're like they tower over everyone. They wear a big, heavy armor. You can't see their faces. They carry big guns that will eviscerate Covenant armor. Like they're just—they could just kill them all. Like they know, even like even if there are fifty of them against one of them, they probably—they might not even all survive. Like the Spartan still might just win because he's yeah. just better. They're just better. Yeah, they don't talk. They don't like engage and banter. You have a bunch of Marines are like shooting the shit between missions, and the Spartans just standing there, like you can't even see their eyes. It's just like a no. blank helmet with the visor, so it's just like there's no face to latch onto. You don't know who they're looking at. Like it's just always on edge. Yeah, so it's really, yeah, it's really cool. They they roll up and like again, the Covenant are scared of them. Uh, they call them, you know, the elites do the classic thing. They call them demon, and then the insurgents are like, oh shit, the Spartans are here. We're gonna fucking die. <laughs> but <laughs> they're no, they're working together, which is like the cool thing. Um, that's again, that's a you know, that's a, a recurring sort of thing in the Halo universe. Like, like the insurgents are like, oh, the fucking Spartans are coming to push our shit in. They're like, oh wait, they're helping because again, the whole idea is like we're, we we got to put aside our differences because this is a literal genocidal alien race. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that action for the most part was well done. Um, it looked okay. It looked pretty good. I, there's a there's a couple parts where they switched to the first person view because you know video games. Um, that was kind of neat. I don't think yeah. the elites always worked perfect, but it was, they were fine, I guess. I think for the most part, I did. I think some things were kind of funny, not in like a bad way, but kind of like a kind of cool way. Um, I think the first one, Master Chief kills when he's shooting it and he just pulls out his pistol and just blows its head off. And I was like, all right, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, not shallow. I will say, I did we didn't mention? I didn't mention this before we started recording. There is a scene where he throws his assault rifle aside, probably because it's out of ammo or something, and he pulls out his pistol. But they have an extra shot of the start off of hitting the ground, and it looks awful. Like, it clearly was not a real prop. They just were like, throw this, like, green duct-taped stick on the ground, and we'll <laughs> fucking render something around it. And it looks like fucking, like, a plastic toy, but, like, like worn and really, like, like a knockoff toy. Like, a mm-hmm. knockoff Nerf gun, 
made like with some clay. Like it looks awful. <laughs> like I literally had a, I went back and was like, can I see that awful again? Make sure that was so awful. It was. It was terrible. Also, what was terrible? Uh, their haircuts. Who cut these people's hair? <laughs> who, who did that? Who did that to these people? It's like, like sci-fi. Style? It's like this. It's like the future. So you got to do goofy shit with your hair. You got to do awful. That's classic. Just, you know that's classic. Yeah, but I don't. That's me not to like it. I guess we should address Jack while we're while we're here while we're still in the on the insurgent settlement there. Dude, did you feel it was justified that there was they were using a like AKs and had a Chevy Tahoe? Um, no. Was that paid off? As as famously the showrunner said, that is there for a reason. Did we feel that reason? Because I I didn't. I felt the reason was they had no money. Yeah, I think that was the reason too. That's the <laughs> another reason thing I felt about as well. Another thing about their base that I thought was dumb. Is that she's like go? They're like go in the safe with the children, uh, like protect like the young the people who can't fight. And his daughter, his, what's his daughter's name? Quan. Quan. Well, Quan goes in the safe and safe. They close the safe, but you can just see this huge like inch wide gap in between the doors of the safe. And then she puts a bar through the doors to hold it shut. And I was like, did they, did they forget what safe means in the future? <laughs> a safe means it li- it would close from the inside and be one solid door that's impenetrable, almost impenetrable, theoretically impenetrable. Mm-hmm. So you can't get she inside. Just climb, it. She just like climbs out the top. She just climbs like a out a hatch and leaves the hatch open. I'm like, <laughs> Elite could jump in that hatch and kill everybody inside. Well, I mean, they Elite just cuts the door open. The Elite just kills everybody inside. That was pretty just, grim. Yeah, that was grim. He's, so no survivors. So well, so what do we think of Silver Team? So the rest of the Spartans, I thought they, they did their stuff, mean. right? They were there. Yeah, they did their stuff. Yeah, the big guy. Yeah, big guy. Yeah, sniper lady. guy. Yeah, dual two, dual pistols two, guy, right? Two pistols lady. She what do you like? Well, yeah, I mean, what more could you want? Classic, not much. Classic setups. I, I could want blue team, but yeah, I'm blue. I'm the more I'm thinking about Jay, I, I, I've stewed on this a little. I think potentially they they literally did it 100 on purpose just to make it a point of difference to distinguish this from the other timeline. That's I honestly right. believe, I think maybe they were like I don't I don't think this guy like the showrunner dude came up with them and was like, "Yeah, I I I got this idea for like a sniper lady and then like a fast lady and then like a big like strong dude. Uh we're going to call him Silver Team though and I'm going to make up these bullshit names." I think maybe they're like, "All right, so we'll use Blue Team." And then they're like, "All right, we need something though to distinguish this from the rest of the timeline just so that people don't get confused." So we'll literally just change their names cuz otherwise it's just uncanny, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Not that it's like just, it's just copy big and dude and sniper dude are are <laughs> in, incredibly uh you know iconic characters like unique concepts like they're they're pretty tropey so it, it you know I suppose they could come up with it independently but that that's that's the theory I'm gonna run with right now um, although I, I do, it's a pretty solid theory I think their names are dumb well I mean they're fine but like I think it's I've always thought it was kind of interesting that the Spartans all have really really normal names. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the the main blue team, but is is you know John, Fred, Linda, and Kelly. Like it's the twenty fifth or the twenty sixth century, and they just have like names, like just really pretty standard, standard like Earth English names. Um, and then even the the other ones, like some of the other blue team, it's like Lucy and Tom and Sam. So you know the fact that the you have John, but then his teammates are like Vanek and Kai and whatever the last one was. It's like those those don't really fit the same. Pattern. Those are two. Those are two futuristic. Yeah, when you get like, yeah, the other ones are like George and Cat, something like that. So I don't know, but it's it's fine. Um, in this same sequence, we got sounds. So we got some of the classic Halo sounds. You can hear the they did, the shield. They did the shield sound. That was yeah, fun. That's good. Although, also though, in this sound tr- or in this scene, I think it becomes apparent. Although it's throughout the whole show, they they 
still don't use any Halo music, which is bizarre. I thought they, I thought they did. I thought there was a kind of a chorus theme of the main theme in the beginning, the, like the Where? intro part. Maybe I'm mis, I th- maybe I'm mishearing it. I because th- it sounds some there was some part of music that was like. Uh, like in a chorus that sounded similar, but maybe I'm maybe I wanted to. I don't know. Um, I'm just I read or heard this week that it's actually like a potentially a uh, some kind of licensing royalties issue. Is that the guys oh. who originally composed the music for Halo Combat Evolved? They would have to pay them, I guess, is all to be able to use it in a show, and they just mm-hmm. don't fucking feel like it. I guess because they had well, they, they have six dollars no in a shoestring to make this show with, yeah. so. I guess that's why. Hopefully that's something that can be remedied. They already bothered to renew this shit for a second season, so maybe give it some money. You would give it a little bit of fucking money and, and like buy yeah. the... You already built all your Halo costumes and you've already got the armor now, so now I'm going to spend some money on like <laughs> music sound. and shit. Uh, yeah. But then yeah, I thought one of the things it conveyed really well though with that whole fight scene is that like they kind of lost, right? So the Spartans kill all the elites there, right? But, but not everyone the elites dies. Everybody else. Yeah, and that's kind of like a, a recurring theme of the whole the whole war in Halo is that human humanity can't win, right? They're fighting a losing battle. It's been like twenty eight years of of drawn drawn out prolonged conflict in which hundreds and hundreds of colony worlds have been turned to glass, right? And mm. the the lore goes that like they can't win in space, right? The Covenant ships are just they uh the the rule of thumb that they go off of is like the UNSC ships try to not even engage unless they have three to one odds because they know they'll just get destroyed otherwise right which is like a general kind of rule obviously in military you always want to have superior numbers if you can help it but yeah in in Halo there it's it's like if you don't have three to one odds you don't even have a chance right two to one you yeah. you just know it's a fact that you will both be destroyed and the covenant will win so they're having a rough go of things. They really are. And uh, I, like I said, I think this can, kind of conveys that. And the lore always went that if you could get Spartans on the ground, right? Spartans could win just about any ground engagement that you threw them at, right? Spartans are the, the ultimate force multiplier. Like they say in the, in the show here, it's, and it's, you know, that's supported, is that a Spartan is worth like 100 Marines or more. So that all works, is that they can get there and they can kill all the elites, but the UNSC are losing anyways. And I think that's, that was conveyed well. Mm-hmm. And, and neat. Yeah. And then we get the rest of the episode is pretty action. Well, I guess the end there's a little more action, but there's no like gunfighting. Uh, yeah. We get into all the politics and the and the side characters at play here. So we get Halsey, we get um, the, Jacob the, and Miranda the, Keys, mm-hmm. we get the UNSC like commander lady whose name I can't think of now. But what do we think of all of them? Um, I kind of I kind of liked them. I didn't mind them too much. They were interesting. I think Halsey looks a little bit young. Maybe for her role, but then I like did the math and I did just googling. That actress is only like she's within about ten years of what Halsey should be. It's just mm. that in the games they portrayed her as looking quite a bit older with like gray hair and everything. But like we always talk about, this is uh, this is like a Hollywood person, so <laughs> she <laughs> might not necessarily look exactly her age. So right, yeah, and they probably put a wig. And I know for most female actresses, they like just wear wigs. Most I think time a lot. I think most actors wear wigs, honestly, because it's. More consistent. And more consistent, and you won't damage your hair. Yeah. If you, if you like do that to your hair every single day for yeah. like three months, your hair will be ruined. Mm-hmm. But they're they're up to some stuff. Halsey's got they they obviously throw out Cortana. She's in the back burner. She'll she'll roll up eventually. That's that's fine. And then what? And then what is she? She she keeps going against orders. I think is the is that she's constantly like, yeah. Well, I'm just gonna talk to him. And the director's like, nope. We just which I I kind of see 
I, I mean, it's uh, that I think that was interesting because I could see both sides. Because from Halsey's perspective, she, she's kind of—I don't know if she really sees John a person. I don't see, think she sees any of them as really people because she made them into horrible monsters. She's like, well, he's kind of my horrible monster, and I made him myself, and I really think he's neat. So I'm going to see if he's not broken before we throw him out. And then there's like, nope, that guy's a horrible weapon who could kill us all if we wanted to. Uh, we're going to kill him. <laughs> see, we can. But this is actually a problem I have with the show is that dynamic the way that uh, Halsey seems to be approaching it I don't I don't think they did this right I think they mishandled it a little because I think she is a little too flagrant with them and like kind of shitty to John because in the expanded universe of Halo there right the the lore is that Halsey really does care for the Spartans in her own kind of weird way in that she very much sees them as like her children and they see her as like their mother Right. And so I think she is playing a little fast and loose with him in this one for right. for my personal liking, if I'm being honest, because, yeah. I don't, and like this, obviously, we'll get into this, but it it's all goes back to the storyline. They seem to have decided to cho- choose to tell here. Right. The, the plot they're going with was this is the whole like chief and his memories and, and this and this shit, which I guess let's just get into that now. So I, he touches that the forerunner artifact right and he's getting memories yeah. back and they say they've sealed all of his memories that's why he doesn't have them and we mentioned last week that in the lore for halo the spartans i'll remember they all remember for the most part a lot in a lot of the a lot of the time but a lot of them are just down for it. they just they just want to become a horrible like seven foot mass muscular monster yeah I mean, it's hard to really shake that out of you because i mean look at how you look like your whole life is just that now like there's not mm-hmm. much of life before and you know all that and there's stuff. like there's some outliers so there's there's a handful of spartans who are trying to escape in the one the halo legends anime thing one of them actually escapes and makes it back to her family and she learns that that's when she learns that she's been replaced by a flash clone because that's what they do so they they kidnap you in the literally in the night uh they replace you with a flash clone and and halo is the universe i guess where they haven't perfected cloning, which seems weird given the other things they can do. Like, yeah, because I don't even think we're that far off from being able to clone. It's people. just a like an ethical thing. I mean, it it's all about like I guess the types of cloning. I don't. I guess the thing is, is that cloning as is presented in sci-fi, where you turn out perfect copies of an individual, is not really how it works in it's real hard. life. Because oh. right, because you wouldn't look exactly the same. I guess I don't know. The point is. They can't. They can't perfect cloning in Halo. So you make a clone, but it's wrong, and it's it's not really viable. And so you're placed with them, and then they like die almost immediately. They like fall ill, and then your family's just like, "Oh fuck, our kid just came down with something and fucking died." Guess I'll yeah. bury my kid and be sad about it. Hmm. No, I'll forget. He, I'll forget, so I won't go looking. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You just assume. Okay, my son fell ill and died. He wasn't stolen away in the night by. The government, uh, the military, <laughs> the government. But so there is outliers, and there's some Spartans who eventually like pursue a normal life and they leave it all behind. But for the most part, the idea is that the Spartans want to do it because it's all they've known. Which again, that there is moral implications to that, right? That is kind of a messed up scenario. But mm-hmm. it's not directly like we sealed off your mind so you don't remember ever. And again, I don't think Halsey would want to do that. That's not the way she's ever been presented. And so I don't, I don't personally really care for the direction they've gone with this. That she's like she's pretty shitty to Chief. And then yeah. this whole dynamic. If anything, she should be the advocate for them. And, and I guess in the way she is, because she's like, well, don't kill him. But I don't know. I'm not sure about this whole emotional kind of core they've tried to bring to the show, which is 
chief trying to like reclaim his humanity because and um Eckhart's Ladder is a YouTuber he does a lot of like Star Wars and, and sci-fi different content and he he did a review of this first episode and he said some things that I thought really made a lot of sense which is like with the first season of Halo show it's kind of weird to have your main plots I mean I guess this could evolve over the season don't get me wrong but from where we're sitting right now right it seems like a big part of this season is going to be chief and this girl and him like reclaiming his humanity and like dealing with the ethical and moral ramifications of the spartan program and all this right mm-hmm. which there's a lot of potential there of course and i've said i think on the show here right that's one of the interesting things about the hill universe is like it is it is an interesting dilemma and there is a lot of like discussion to be had there the problem is is that for the context of a show where you're trying to reuse your own universe you're trying to create your own continuity from the ground up you can't do that that storyline where like you basically you break chief down and like you drag him down and and tear him apart and like really get at him and and redefine like who he is and what he thinks of himself as a person before you just have him be master chief right yeah like we got half an episode where he's like normal master chief and then they're just like all right now he's he's questioning everything he's having like a an existential crisis exactly that doesn't really work just like narrative i think and i think that's a problem i think and like here's the thing even in like the recent the recent games and books and things where they have gotten more and more into the the ethics of this and how how fucked up it all kind of is right that comes off the heels again of years and years of the spartans being just like unstoppable monsters yeah unstoppable and unflappable in their conviction and their motivation to fight and the thing is, the Master Chief specifically has never been the focus of that, right? Like I said, there's that uh, Legends story. It's like one of the one of the shorts in that in that movie where one of the Spartans does that, but it's not Chief, right? He's not the one who's questioning it because Chief's got the he's got to save the world, right? Like yeah, he's got to be the beacon for humanity. And this is why I said, did I say it last week? But like, why didn't they just do a show that it wasn't Chief? <laughs> Yeah, I don't I mean, know why they wanted... Because, again, I guess it's because of iconography. They're like, well, he's the most iconic, but let's take him and change most everything about him. And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I just don't let's know if that works. Let's have him take off his helmet immediately. Yeah. yeah, okay, so let's get into that. Let's talk about the helmet, Jack. Keep your what, helmet what do we on. think? I didn't like that. Keep the helmet on. I don't want to see his face. So, I, I can see both sides, Jack. Let, let, me, let me present it to you like this. On the one hand, as we've often said, you don't have to do it one-to-one, right? Right. If you want to do a Halo show where he takes off his helmet, I'm not going to immediately say that's like horrible. But I I do think they have weird attitudes about it, right? So I think the actor who's playing Chief in this said in an interview this week or last week or whatever recently, where he was like, "Yeah, we we knew we had to take off the helmet pretty much immediately." And he said something literally the effect of like, "Yeah, it's not the Mandalorian, you know. We knew that to tell Chief's story, we needed to take his helmet off." And I was like, that's just a goofy thing to say. Because if anything, Master Chief was the Mandalorian before the Mandalorian, right? Oh, absolutely. You like and I think you can get you can get into a whole argument and a whole discussion of like whether the helmet never taking off the helmet thing is actually truly like a story thing. Or if at this point it's just kind of gotten like larger than life to an extent, right? Yeah. Where it's, it's just like, well, now now we can never take the helmet off just because it's been so long. Yeah, why why start now? Like, why break tradition in this? But I don't think it's necessarily, like, an essential element of his character, right? It's not a thing, like... Basically, it's not a thing in-universe, right? Mm-hmm. In lore, he takes his helmet off when he needs to, right? Yeah. In, in the game, sometimes, there's, like, an off-screen, like, out-of-shot kind of thing where it's like, okay, we see that he's taking his armor off, but they never show us his helmet. Or his face, right? 
So the, don't, it's not like an actual part of his character that he never takes his helmet off. It's just kind of like a larger than life uh, meta thing at this point, which mm-hmm. is fine. So if they want to take his helmet off, that's cool. But it is weird the way they do it, I think. Um, I think it's weird that they build it up, but then... Because they seem aware of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, they yeah, know that it's definitely it's, a build-up because it's the back of his head and he takes it off and there's it lingers for a moment. But, like, I've only we've only known this. We've only seen this guy for half the episode. He's Exactly. Like, we've only, like, there's no, like, I'm not going to take my helmet off. Like, and you, They didn't and, wait till the end of this first season, like, with The Mandalorian. They just did it. First episode. Yeah. So it's like they want their cake and eat it, too, to be like, yeah, this is an epic moment, isn't it? So they clearly, again, they they know that they're playing off of the whole chief never takes his helmet off, but they're also not really doing anything with it of yeah. actual note. You'd have to know, you'd have to be like in the know. You'd have to be like, well, chief, mm-hmm. I've never seen chief's face. But if you're watching yeah. the show, divorced of that, you're like, well, okay, this guy takes his, took his helmet off. I don't know why it was framed like this. They think it's just taking it like there's not there's no like I said, there's no buildup within this within this show to do that, which I think mm-hmm. they it's it's yeah they're, they're having their cake because they're like, well, we want to tell our own story. But you'll it'll be real. We're got, we're having all these fans in mind who will want this moment to be treated this way, or they'll get mad at us. So it's like, yeah, they're like, we don't actually care if he about taking his helmet off. It's not even a big deal. But isn't it? But isn't it really dope though that we took his helmet off? Cool. You guys, you guys like that, didn't you? Okay, good, 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 good. It's like, what are you doing? Here's the other thing. Like, I don't think he should just look like the actor. <laughs> he looked very plain. He just he looks looked- like the actor. That's just what the actor looks like. They didn't do anything to him. I don't think he should have a beard. Personally, I mean, that's, he's I think military. he should be clean shaven. I think he should be all like probably scarred. Should be. Bald. I think he should have really short hair too, like buzzed hair. Be, yeah, I was gonna say he should have like a. He should have like almost no hair. He should have like scars on his face. Should have like because well, we've seen other Spartans. I and uh, once again, I think Ford Unto Dawn does it really, really well. In Ford Unto Dawn, the Spartans, you see, uh, you see Kelly. Do you see Kelly and Fred, but not? I don't think you see Linda. And you definitely don't see Chief, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. And in Ford Unto Dawn, they look wrong. And they have, like, the blue, these weird striking blue eyes that are a result of their surgeries. And the weird, like, implants they have in their eyes. They are clean-shaven. They're really, really young, which doesn't apply to this because of the timeline, which is fine. But he just looks like a really normal dude. <laughs> yeah, not not someone who would, like, be scary. Like, it's just, like, the armor. But, yeah, it ignores the fact that, like, they tower over all other humans and they're like, and they got all these scars on their backs. Clearly mm-hmm. there's things like you said, like there's the implants and the surgeries that would just make, even if like battle didn't make their bodies wrong, their bodies would just like from what they have gone through be built yeah. in a way that like looks wrong. Cause it's like not a part, it'd be an uncanny Valley. Like it'd be like, yeah. you're not really, you're like a person, but you're, there's something wrong with you. Like you're not exactly. That's, that's the perfect way to describe it. I think that's like sums up the Spartans really well is that they are kind of this uncanny valley because they're close but they're wrong but they're wrong that's why they're so upsetting to the normal soldiers like it's literally part of the lore is that they can't really deploy the spartans alongside normal marines because the marines find them upsetting (laughs) and like they don't really work together because the spartans are yeah they're barely human beings anymore and they're just weapons both as as a result of their training and they're like the non-stop nature of their upbringing and as a result of like obviously all the augmentations that have been done to them they're like physically kind of separated from from normal humanity um but like yeah i don't, I don't know he looks too normal i think and i guess but, it's easier because now you can just have the actor's face but like again you know how you avoid having to pay for like weird makeup or cgi um 
just keep well, his helmet on. <laughs> keep his helmet on. Don't show his face. Or you know, save it. You keep the helmet on for the entire show. Have him take his helmet off the end. Only got to pay for it for what? Only got to do it once. Yeah. Once. Like I said, so I'm looking at it right now. Fred in in Ford Unto Dawn. He's got like he has like again, like we said, almost no hair. He's clean shaven. He's got the weird striking eyes. And then he's got now. This is when Fred is 16 or whatever. At the very very beginning of the war, he still has like a few scars on his face. Master Chief looks in the show here. It's like nothing. There's nothing to him. He's untouched. Like, he doesn't have scars of any kind. And um, various people from the franchise over the years have said like what Chief would look like. And one of them said something to the effect of like he would he he you know he's obviously like a hard looking man. It's something about how he would be scarred or like weathered or whatever. Like especially again at the point of the the series here, right? The war's been going on for almost thirty years. They've seen some shit by now. Like he's oh, been yeah. fighting nonstop for his entire life. He should be pretty fucked up, I would say, by this point. Even just minor, like, smaller scars on his face. I'm not saying he needs to have half his face blown off, but I, I just don't, uh, I don't think he does it for me. Hopefully he keeps it on. Like, again, I'm not married to the idea of, like, he never has to take his helmet off, but they didn't do anything with it in this show, and I think that's what bothers me, is that they, they again, they want their cake and you to, like, make it out like it's this cool, dope, big idea that they're doing, but they actually don't, in reality, do anything with it. It's no build-up. Let's check it. I want to talk about the one scene that bothered me. Not bothered me, but I thought it was dumb. Was when Quan is like talking to that UNFC lady who's like, hey, Miranda. You know, Miranda. She's like, hey, you know, give a little speech. You know, do do some propaganda for us, will you? A little bit, would mm-hmm. you? I know your dad's dead and your whole, you know, you're a rebel, but we got you now. And then she's like, no, I won't do it. When I tell them, I'm going to lie to them and tell them the Spartans try to kill us all. And I'm like, I don't think you're in any position to threaten lying because. There's a Spartan in your ship. He could kill. Like they just, they literally give him an order to kill. Like and then they yeah they ask him to kill her. They literally she's asked him to dick. kill her. Really wrote. I have written down here. Uh, Quan is a dick. Yeah, <laughs> and I get it. She like yeah she does have her reasons. I suppose you know like dead mom, dead dad, and all that. Right. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Um, but like I said, the, the kind of the point of the series has always been that they do live in this horrible, uh, like authoritarian class society, but. At least for the war, that becomes momentarily irrelevant, right? They're able to work past that because they have bigger fish to fry. And mm-hmm. she is totally like unaware of that. She doesn't seem to want to address that in the slightest. She's like, "Well, I'm more worried about this thing." It's like, do you not realize that everyone's just gonna die? It's like it's of no consequence because we'll all just be dead. Like, you, mm-hmm. actually, you don't even have to worry about it. Like, <laughs> never mind, because your planet's gonna be turned to glass, and every human that's ever lived will be killed yeah so the human race will be wiped from the universe forever yeah i so i don't i don't really care for that yeah she was and i guess it was like a whole like standing up to authority moment but yeah like not not, besides the fact that like hey get with the program where you should have you saw those aliens kill everybody we got to stick together it's just like even if there weren't aliens you're in no position to make threats like that you are on one of their ships flying to their base with their one of their super weapons like they're weaponized monster men in the ship with you. You have no guns. You're not trained very. Like, what do you think is gonna happen? You're gonna fight everyone in the everyone every single marine that comes out. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you, you know, I guess she's still covered in the blood of her friends. So maybe she's got you know a lot of adrenaline. But yeah. still, what are you doing? Get your stupid haircut out of here. All they have, they all have normal haircuts in the UFC. They're all mm-hmm. they're yeah, nice, nice practical military cuts. Yeah, exactly. You know, good on him. Um, I did like the line that Miranda rolls with, where she's like, "What's the point in saving humanity if you give up your own?" That's a pretty, you know, succinct like summation of one of the core themes of Halo, which is like, yeah, like like I said last week, like it's it's this interesting ethical dilemma, which is like, 
what we did to these Spartans was horrible, but we saved all mankind because of it. And so was it like a worthy trade-off? Yeah. The, um, was it? Yeah. Was it worthy? I got, I found a meme this week. I saw a meme on Halo. It was very good. It was, it's the meme of Michael Scott shaking his, uh, boss's hand, but he's all like surprised and. Oh, it's like, with, the, yeah, it's like the long, the mullet kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the the bosses humanity congratulating the UNSC for their super soldiers who beat the covenant, and then Matt, uh, Michael Scott says, "Oni who kidnapped kids in order to kill rebels," because <laughs> that's an interesting tidbit of the lore is that right. they were not made to fight the Spartan or the Covenant. We, that just was a happy little accident. They were made to kill the insurrectionists and and the the infighting. Ah, uh, yes, accidental heroes. Mm-hmm. Nothing like the U.S. government. Nothing like a government. Not so. Like so. again, all of that is interesting. To an extent, but I don't think that's what sh- the sh- first season of the show should have been entirely no around. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the easier theme to roll with for Halo is is the idea of like humanity's desperate struggle, right? Like the again, this losing battle where we, you know, we we pretty much can't win, but they're trying anyways, right? They like we won't give up, kind of thing. Like that's a more interesting, I think, and it, it probably easier to pull off story for the first season of your show instead of getting right into like the the morality of the spartan program and, and chief's horrible past and everything and like his lost childhood it's like is that fun to do your, your sci-fi action show about yeah just emotions why does the real enemy have to be your the inner turmoil of yourself when there are yeah. aliens trying to kill everybody speaking of aliens trying to kill everybody i think the last big part of this episode is the prophet talking to the human who switched sides yeah i think the prophet actually looks really good I think it, it comes like a puppet, which I think is cool. Like a, like a Maybe fraggle rock. I wonder. I wonder. But yeah, I thought sense. it looked great. I was actually really impressed by the prophet because I thought, I think the elites looks kind of eh. But that's the prophet. I was like, he looks great. Oh, yeah, and then, yeah, we, we get the first introduction to that character, which is God only knows why. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what she's about. I why saw switch sides. Why is she yeah. so high up? I mean, I'm sure we'll get it, but like, yeah. I saw that. Oh, I, although, also, I did. Yeah, she, he like is deferring to her. But he's the prophet of mercy. He's one of the three high prophets. So it's that's interesting. I don't know what that's about. And uh, you know, if we get more of him out of that out of the season, that'd be interesting because I I do the prophets are neat characters. Yeah, because they um, don't they. I think the big thing they also like kind of give propaganda there. Yeah. So the whole so the whole thing of Halo is that. So this is why when Master Chief picks up that artifact it works for him and it does something whereas like the elites were observing it but they clearly couldn't get it to do anything it's because humans are the successors to the precursors and the covenant are not or the, not the precursors but rather the forerunners sorry it goes the precursors made the forerunners and the forerunners made us or some shit i don't know it's, it's whatever but yeah the the forerunners built all the halo rings and all these constellation or these constructs that have survived for literally like hundreds of thousands of years and we can activate them but the covenant cannot but the covenant religion is based on the tenant that they are the successors so when the prophets learn this they keep it a secret and they launch the war against humanity to hide that fact because otherwise the it will crumble their yeah the the covenant will crumble which obviously it does in the events of halo two and three there so that's that's the core idea there but mercy is one of the main three and they're the the prophets are interesting because their whole thing is that they're like the inverse of what they are. So the main three are the prophets of mercy, who is like the least merciful. <laughs> He's mm-hmm. kind of cruel and fucked up. The prophet of truth, who orchestrates this entire lie to save them to save their power yeah, to to 
predicate this war on and the prophet of regret who regrets nothing regrets nothing and makes a lot of <laughs> shitty poorly thought out decisions off on a whim and then gets himself into nonsense but yeah i i did think he looked good i thought how charity looked good actually all the a lot of the um a lot of the larger cgi not down to like the individual he- people or i guess mostly just the elites moving around looked kind of goofy at times mm. but the ships all looked good i think the covenant and the human ships i think high charity looked good i think reach looked good just like the big cities scapes and everything and all the ships flying around i thought that stuff all actually did look look quite solid yeah i, I think so too i thought I, I thought it was a good idea when they showed the ship they only show part of the covenant ship on that planet whose name I, the first planet they go to the name i forgot madrigal. madrigal so they didn't have to show the entire ship so it wouldn't be under scrutiny i thought that was pretty good it looked pretty good from the little bit we saw mm-hmm. yeah i thought i thought it all looked good though, like the cgi i definitely agree with that so I think that's is that pretty much all. That's about it for the first episode. Also, like I said, there's still potential, and it's just the first episode, so maybe they'll they'll expand on some of this and they'll, and they'll shift gears a little bit. But I really hope this first season isn't entirely like I'm Master Chief and I'm sad. I think they'll go to. Do you think they'll go to Halo this season? I think they definitely will. It's the Halo show. They got to the iconography. Because now, because it's interesting. Because this isn't this is the year. This is the timeline, right? Where this is the point in the timeline where. The fall of Reach should happen, and because we see Reach and it's fine, mm-hmm. so the fall of Reach has to happen still. Which I actually was kind of like excited about because that means they could do the fall of Reach in this show. I think I was like I had this thought they could do the fall of Reach, like that could be one of the seasons. Like season two could just be the fall of Reach. Yeah, there's enough going on, there. and I think just... that would work. You could do it like you like break it up. You could have different. You could bring in different Spartans and and do like. Almost an anthology season where every season deal or every episode deals with like a different perspective on things as the fall of Reach is happening, and I think that's got a lot of potential. I doubt they will because that'd be a good idea. <laughs> but we like, yeah, I don't know because he hasn't even got Cortana yet, so it's a little bit it's a little bit earlier on than than you know the first Halo game for sure. There's a little bit of a ground to cover before we get to them discovering the first Halo ring, but right. And again, they still could shift gears for some of the themes. Like I think I I don't know. I don't hate Quan. I think she's she's fine so far. But I'm just I'm wondering as to like what role she can realistically fill in the story here going forward in the long term. Like is she, is she just going to be their their insurrectionist sidekick for the entire show? Like yeah, I, I really think that what her role might be is just that she maybe she's going to be like, what's this? She'd be like, this is how the rebels live. This is live in your cushy planet, Master Chief. And he was like, I was kidnapped when I was a boy. <laughs> What do you What do you want about? I'm a monster. Look at me. All I've known is war. <laughs> I I exist to kill. I'm a weapon, and once they're done, I'll be disposed of. <laughs> they will cast me away. They'll the fight throw me done. in the trash. So I must keep fighting. I must fight to end a war that justifies my life. Without the, Without the war, what am I? And she be like, Yeah, well, you're a meanie, so fuck you. And it's like, <laughs> Well, you got me. It's time for episode three. And that's what is What is a warrior without war? <laughs> yeah. She's gonna be like, mm, my haircut's bad, so, so fuck you. It's like, well, I guess I saved your life for nothing, girl. I, would, I, I will, really, I will truly become a tool without a purpose. <sighs> yeah, I, I don't know because we still, like I said, we still have Cortana. I, I really, I think the co- emotional core of this show should have been Cortana and the other Spartans, not random any girl. And again, she's not horrible, but like that's that's the core of the expanded stuff is is the Spartans, right? And their relationship mm-hmm. with each other, and their the brotherhood that this brotherhood that they have, and then the Cortana and Chief is like the emotional core of the games. And I don't know why they felt the need to like come up with something new to roll with with this. 
like I said, I think keeping with the more simple theme of like, hey, we're we're fighting this losing war because it's what we have to do. You know, your classic like, um, what's that poem? Uh, even more specific, a lot of poems out there. So one man. where it's like, do, do not go gently into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Like that's that's what oh, they're about it, here, you know. I don't know. I I know what I know what you're talking about. I don't know the name of that poem. It's literally called "Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night." Well, there you go. There you go. So it's that it's that kind of thing, right? That's the main theme of Halo. Is that like they're gonna fight till the bitter end, and eventually they win, and like it's kind of this bittersweet victory because they lose so much along the way, and you know, obviously most of I think literally most of humanity in some form or another is killed or destroyed by the war right but they mm -hmm. kept they kept keeping on because like yeah. it's all he knows right like he's got to finish the fight that's that's his whole thing yeah so he's giving the covenant back their bomb he's giving the covenant back their bomb because that's what he's about he'll jump out of a space station with a bomb he doesn't give a shit he's gonna fuck he'll, he'll plummet to earth that's what chief's about so this whole i don't know what they're gonna do a, like i don't know if i should be the chief anymore morality oh oh the horrors of what i've done like hey leave the horror style after the war fella we got a war to win Honestly, though, genuinely, like, eh, again, or just use a different character than Chief, because Chief has to, he's got to win the war. <laughs> again, he's, yeah, he's got, he's got to finish the fight. Like, he's, like we said in the beginning, early in this segment, he's the beacon, like, yeah, the master, he's the master chief. He's the demon, like, all, all the humans like him and all the covenant fear him. Like, yeah. it's, he, he's, ha he has to be a weapon. Like, he doesn't need morality. Yeah, exactly. As much as he is a effective weapon and that he literally does almost single-handedly win the war he also is a symbol mm -hmm. um, and it's again because yeah, more powerful because he's the he's the only thing scarier than the covenant is the spartans like because there's so few spartans uh, actually there's like less than a hundred of them of, of an of the initial wave of spartan twos they're they their effect on the battle on the on the war rather overall can only be so great right Mm -hmm. You know, even 70, like, perfect soldiers are only 70 strong, right? Yeah, especially with a planet, like, a galaxy worth of planets. Yeah, when you're talking fight. about billions and billions of lives and, and, and hundreds of planets and all this. So, yeah, it's part of the lore that one of, more than anything almost, one of the uh, more effective uses, like, one of the one of the more important uses of the Spartans is as propaganda tools. So that, like, it inspires the rest of the, the, of the, the UNSC and the, the earth government like keep fighting so yeah if you have him be like i don't know if i even want to do this anymore it's like what i guess unless they're gonna like find the halo together unless they're gonna be like we don't need the unsc me and this girl are gonna find halo <laughs> it's like but why yeah, we're gonna find ourselves i don't know because like and people people make out to be uh cliche and it kind of is but the relationship between chief and cortana is has a lot of interesting elements to it as well because it's that whole like he's a human who's barely human and she's an ai who's very human yeah, in like that's that's an interesting kind of dichotomy, and again, maybe it's cliche, but like it, I feel works. like they, I feel like Halo is one of the first ones to, to kind of run with that. Is mm -hmm. that like he has to teach her how to be a robot, and she has to teach him how to be a human? Kind of, kind of yeah, slant of things. That of the two, she is much more the emotive one, and he is much more the stoic one, which is mm -hmm. interesting because she's a literal AI, and he's a programmed he's, on paper. He's a human human being <laughs> on paper. In theory, he's human. <laughs> I don't know. You look at him. He's wrong. That boy's wrong. That's right. So yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I, I'm a little more optimistic for the rest of it. I think they could they could run with some interesting stuff if they if they keep on with this. Maybe we'll get the fall of reach this season. Like that'd be dope. I don't that'd think they have cool. the money for it though. So oh no, they don't. It'd look bad probably. Then again, I don't know if they have the money for the Halo. So like, I'm my my greatest fear is that this whole season is just going to be like them running from the Covenant. Or sorry, not the Covenant. Them running from the UNSC so that it's just Chief 
and a girl and then like all our human beings and they'd never have to spend money on the covenant because the covenant barely appear that's my fear jack is that it's just going to be master chief basically at odds with the the rest the other humans the whole season for the most part and then and then next season they'll be like now we'll do some action with the aliens maybe if you're lucky if you're lucky if if you're nice if you're nice we'll let it happen apparently the reviewers the reviewers who got early copies of this um they got the first two episodes you know a couple weeks back when the early Mm. reviews are coming out and they said that apparently there's some kind of massive reveal twist kind of moment at the end of episode two so it's kind of early to do twists it's kind of what i thought like a big a big internet breaking moment apparently at the end of the second episode Oh my god, the Spartans were covenants the whole time? Oh, it's probably going to be something god. like that. Yeah, definitely. Well, I was thinking, I, my thought was maybe, what if the human who switched sides, what if she was a Spartan? But oh, I don't know yeah. if that's a big enough twist. Because she, like, speaks their language and is like, I'm reading yeah. stories. Well, somebody so, had, well, yeah, she had to learn it, but, like, that yeah. applies to which, whoever human would have switched sides, right? It's very interesting. Are right. you, you got we too much yeah, I, I think, think we're good, good for this week. Let's switch over to the final thing we want to talk about, which is the attack. attack. Let's actually take into the p- deleted scene of Irish Joker from the Batman, <laughs> uh, played by not Barry Manilow. That's not the actor. Truig, whoever that guy is, uh, Barry something, right? His name's Barry. Yeah, it is Barry, Barry something. Is Barry it Cogan. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is Barry, Barry Cogan. Cogan. So I heard so something to that effect. So we see his Joker, and if I were to describe it in one word, it would be uh, gross, uh, yeah. maybe even disgusting, unsettling, upsetting, even, or fucked. I will never understand the cinematic fascination with when whenever they do Joker in live action, or I guess saving, uh, like, what's his face? Jack the stupid one. No, the dumb one that we hate. So, so, oh, Jared Leto. Joaquin Phoenix. Fuck. Well, I- <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix is pretty standard, other than he's like Amazing. older and and stuff. But I don't understand the fantasy with like making the Joker physically disfigured beyond the you know green or white white skin, green hair. Because mm-hmm. um, like you have you know the Dark Knight where he he's got the the lines, and you have what's it called? Yeah, Suicide Squad with uh, Jared Leto tattoos. where he's covered in tattoos. And then you have this one where he's just horribly disfigured, actually, and in in really upsetting to look at. Even yeah, it's we talked. To, we watched it before we started recording. We talked about it a little bit. It crosses a line, I think, where it's not like scary clown. It's just like you're gross. Like you're like a you're like you're wrong. Not not even Uncanny Valley. Like we're talking about the Spartans. Like you're deformed and awful, and I don't mm-hmm. want to like you have scars and your hair is all like ripped out and your fingers are all like scratched and bloody. It's like you're gross. Like I don't want to look at you. Like, I'm not afraid. I'm like, like a little disgusted. Yeah, it kind of and it kind of plays into that trope that we've talked about before um, in regards to like Star Wars and stuff, which you know potentially can be a little like it, it's a little suspect, honestly, and it, and it can be. I feel like it can almost border on and actually like being somewhat harmful if, if it's not handled delicately enough but the whole idea of like physical deformity equals mental unwellness like yeah bad person so they're like well you we need to make the joker look horrible it's like do you like the point is that the things he does and the way he acts is horrible he doesn't need to literally be like a horrifying to behold yeah and i it's, it's not even clear like what is going on with him in this like he's is it burnt i guess maybe is it a result of the ace chemical type scenario right like it but it's, in this universe, it went beyond just like 
messing with his mind and turning his hair a different color. And, and yeah, bleaching his skin and, and his hair and turning it like it literally melted burned. his face. And it looks it's not like it's not like a blotch, like it was liquid. It looks like like cuts, like a cut around his face. It, it, he's like swollen, like he's got like a tumor in his face. Yeah. His fingers are all like bloody, like it's red, like it's not dried. So it feels like that's recent. So is he like pick? Is he doing it to himself because he's unwell? I it's. What do we think? Do you think it needed to be cut out? Do you think it uh, works? I think it does. Yeah, I think so. I think having the Joker in it overshadows the Riddler in its entirety. Also, the movie was already three hours, three hours long. long. You don't need another five minutes in there. And I don't need another gross person. Another yeah. like horrible addition. Addition. I did one thing. I will give this scene credit for. I like how you don't really see his full face. The glass is kind of blurry or you see parts of his head or like the top his or his like just his eyes or just his mouth. Like, I think that kind of works from like a cinematic standpoint that like he's kind of like a mystery. Like, no, no he's not like a, like when we see Riddler, we see Riddler's entirety. We see Paul Danos Riddler, whatever the fuck his real name is in the in the movie. But like, this is kind of like because um, you're not supposed to show him a bit more mystery to him. I thought was interesting. But that doesn't, and I'm glad we didn't see him all because he's awful to behold. So little pieces of him is all I needed, more than I needed actually. Oh, okay. So I I got it here. So Matt Reeves has said what the backstory for this Joker is. Oh, cool. Oh goodness. Okay. So he was in that prequel novel. There's like a prequel novel that apparently explains a bunch of stuff. Oh, um, I'm not sure. But it, he says that it's not about some version where he falls into a vat of chemicals and his face is distorted, or what Christopher Nolan did, where there's some mystery to how he got his scars. Um, explained Reeves. He says, what if this guy from birth had this disease and he was cu- cursed? He had the smile that people stared at that was grotesque and terrifying. Even as a child, people looked on him with horror and his response was to say, okay, so a joke was played on me and this was his nihilistic take on the world. So, it's kind of exactly what I just said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He just so has he- a disease and so he's a monster. That's not cool. Like, yeah, yeah. Matt Reeves, that's not a cool thing to do. I don't. Paul Dano really makes sense. I, I, Paul Dano's makes sense. Uh, Paul Dano, Riddler's makes sense in yeah. the movie because he he felt he was mistreated and went the wrong way and went down a rabbit hole. But saying that, like, oh, this kid looked fucked. This kid was fucked up. So he was like, I guess the only thing I can do is become like a horrible monster. What? Yeah. Matt Reeves? What You're are you talking about? You're no, that's kind of awful. <laughs> That's a shitty thing to do, Matt Reeve. Don't do that. Also, it's like, what is he going to... So do we think he's going to be the villain of the next one? <sighs> Probably. I wouldn't put it past him. I don't fucking like that. Don't do Joker I mean, again. Good guy. I mean, I mean they got to do Joker again. Also, though, like, but what does Joker do? Ultimately, Joker is the same kind of character as Riddler. Riddler was in this movie. Yeah, he's which just is like pr- these weird, psycho. you know, all these psycho... He, well, yeah, he's like a psycho, but he's got all these, like, machinations, and he's like all these, these plots... Right, it's that similar kind of thing of like he's got some plot that he's got to put a stop to and unravel, like before whatever. Right, it's the same kind of thing of like sowing havoc and chaos and and all this, which which is not again, it's just not distinct, right? Yeah, Whereas like close, you get other Batman villains and they just got different things going on, right? Mm-hmm. You got like your Razal Ghouls and he's like, well, I want power and like I have the League of Shadows here. We have Bane and he's like, well, I'm a physical match for Batman, right? The way Riddler was portrayed in the Batman is pretty similar to how Joker usually is portrayed as well, which is like I have these plots and and serial murdering and and, and things, and you gotta Batman's gotta figure it out. It's like an investigation that he has to do. He's gotta actually do some detecting. So like that'd be a similar thing. So I don't I don't think they should use him. Then again, they went through the trouble of like casting this guy. So yeah, I don't know. and he had to keep it secret. Although maybe they just won't. 
what what would you think about him just being like a resource for Batman to to regularly do this to come and be like Joker? What do you think? I don't see why he'd use Joker because that's I don't like there are like there are Joker's other crazy because Joker's yeah, a very very insane person you know who, no, who isn't smart because like there are three characters there are three other Batman villains all the top of my head I can name Ra's al Ghul who's smart Bane who is smart like in his backstory Bane like can speak like twelve languages like he's a very smart man and he's a very inte- like strong man so you could use Bane you could also use the Riddler because he's also smart you could use Hugo Strange because he's also very smart he figures out that Batman's Bruce Wayne. Um, yeah, but Joker, Jack. But yeah, but fucking Joker. I'm sick. Who knows about of- those losers? Who cares about any of those guys you just named? Yeah, when I can just, Joker. When I can just be the Joker. I can be a reflection of something or other. Because Joker some- is me, Jack. Joker is me. You're right. He's an incel. Joker spoke to me. Okay. Yeah. He's the se- he's literally the second Joker who's just mentally ill. Maybe Jack. Maybe we've maybe we've been fed up with the world laughing at us too. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe, but I'm not insane. It's like the Superman thing. Yeah, no one likes it. Yeah, it sucks your girlfriend died, man. Don't go. You don't have to go crazy. His, yeah, it sucks. <sighs> it's like said, it's so sad nobody liked your comedy act, but but don't murder people, maybe. Don't murder. Don't start a revolution. I mean, he actually starts a revolution, but I'm not giving props to that movie. That movie should not be a Joker movie. It's not a Joker movie. I, I, no, I don't it's, not. it's not a fucking Joker movie. No. <sighs> Anything you want to say about this? It's not much to say. It's only five minutes. No, nah, I mean it's only five minutes. He I, just, guess, he, 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 yeah, I, I I would be okay with that actually. If if he did use him as like every movie he came to him was like Joker, what do you think of this? Instead of him being the villain again, I think that's an interesting use of him. You still get him in there, so everyone can be Ooh, the Joker. The, the Joker. Joker. Oh my God! Oh, Barry Manilow's the Joker. What a difficult, what, <laughs> what an incredible performance. What a, what a difficult role to master. Oh, Holy shit! He's Irish. Oh my! Honestly, God. like. As much as we try, to, we defend like the whole, you know, the the nerd culture properties and all this. The Joker really is the epitome of like like fucking nerds not being able to to see past their nerd properties, right? Because apparently, you know, if you ask most nerds, like the question of who is a better actor basically just comes down to who did a better Joker, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the beginning and end. It's like jo- to them, Joker is like the the epitome of acting because epi- yeah, exactly the because, epitome uh, of acting. Without fucking um, oh my god, did I just fucking forget? It? Uh, oh my god, I literally blanked on his what? name. Uh, the oh Joker from the Dark Knight, his name is oh my god, Heath Ledger. F- Heath Ledger. I don't know why I, I can't believe I blanked on it. I don't think it was. I, I think I wanted to call him Hugh, but I was like, that's not right. What is it? Heath Ledger. Heath I maybe, but like, <laughs> no one, no one's like, man, Jack Nicholson. Really, his best role was the Joker in of course Tim Batman. No, of course not. But Heath Ledger tragically died, so that's his best role now. So like, and now everyone's like, "Well, it's got to be as good as like Heath. the best role ever." But everyone has to be Heath Ledger now because he was the one. He was the last one to like. That was the first one. Everyone was like, "This is incredible. I love this." So now every single Joker is kind of like Heath Ledger's Joker. Oh yeah, but he's not supposed to be. He's not. Uh, ah, Mark Hamill's my Joker. Mark uh, Mark Hamill's a good Joker. Uh, like, uh, God, I hate people. Yeah, who like nice. things that we like. Also, I don't want. I I literally just don't want to watch a whole movie where like the villains walking around looking like that. So don't oh, don't I make him the main villain. So just uh just yeah, don't just, just keep him in his cage and then every so often Batman be like, "Tell me, what do you think?" I'd be like, mm, "I'm Joker. I'm the Joker." Then again, I I could also see Joker because I do I really do want them to do Robin properly the next movie. That would be my that's my big hope. I talked about this. I want we, gotta to do Robin. we gotta kill that. So Robin. Joker needs to be there to 
No, Joker needs to kill Robin's parents first. Oh, that's true, yeah. Oh, but you can do anyone. I'm really not married. I don't give a shit. I think anyone could kill Robin's parents, and it works just about as well. So uh, just just use whichever villain and have him kill Robin's parents. You know, in the in the Joel Schumacher, Tim Burton timeline, they Two-Face killed Robin's parents. So that, whatever. There you go. Yeah, it's all nebulous. All right. I think it's a, that about wraps it, Jack. I think so. So uh, thank you so much for listening. So you can find us on Twitter at Akatech Jazz, Akatech J-A-Z, and at Gmail at Akatech Jazz at gmail.com. You can listen to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon slash Audible, uh, and Podbean, and any other places you find your podcast, which are really the main ones. Uh, our logo is on my friend of the show, Jeffrey Gonzalez. You can find him at inkocean.jpg or on Redbubble. Our intro was done by friend of the show, Celery Salt, June, album, you know the drill. And as always, we wrote it, we produced it, we built all the sets. Say goodnight to the people, Zach. Good night. Good night. Godspeed.